Reflecting on my uh, leadership journey, I think of um, some of the major important qualities of a leader include humility, an emphasis on diversity, and a deep sense of self-awareness. Welcome to There's a Better Way. Each episode, Professor Arvind Chandrasekharan sits down with a prominent expert or faculty leader to discuss how business principles can provide solutions to problems we may face in our professional or personal lives. This program is brought to you by The Ohio State University, Max M. Fisher College of Business. Welcome to There's a Better Way. I'm here with uh, Dr. Tim Pollack, who's the current chair of Department of Surgery, and he's also the Surgeon-in-Chief at the Wexner Medical Center, joining us for the podcast today. Welcome today, Tim. Thanks, AC. It's a great honor to be here with you today. So, Tim, the, one of the questions I have for all our uh, podcast um, people is, again, like, um, you have a very unique career. I mean, you're a, a, a surgeon, but you also have a lot of leadership traits and you do a lot of leadership uh, things for the for the university. So tell us a little bit about your path that got you here at this point. Yeah, sure, AC. So I've been here at the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center for about seven years. Prior to that, I was at Johns Hopkins uh, Medical Center for 10 years, where I was a division chief of surgical oncology there. And my training has taken me to uh, MD Anderson in Texas, as well as University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, uh, Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston, and then my medical school training at Tufts University in, in Boston. Um, in addition to my longstanding interest in, in medicine and surgery, I've also had a longstanding interest in philosophy, theology, and um, uh, kind of uh, ethics, and um, have had some experience um, in those fields, having done a uh, fellowship in medical ethics at the um, Harvard School of Public Health, and then actually went to divinity school at the Harvard uh, Divinity School um, during my surgical residency. So I've been blessed to have um, kind of a, a diverse path, uh, uh, maybe a slightly different past, path than many other people in uh, medicine and in surgery, but one I think that has enriched my perspective um, on the world and hopefully has informed uh, what I do as a leader. That's great. You call some, you call very few people as a well-rounded personality, like having all the traits and, and your, your skill sets, again, enable, enable you to be one of those people, right? So, so Tim, I, know, I also know that you, you all had a different passion to get an EMBA degree from Fisher, right? What made you think about an MBA after all the things that you've learned, both in your uh, uh, medical training as well as in the other uh, aspects? Yeah, well, I think um, one characteristic of, of myself is uh, intellectual curiosity. I know I went to Georgetown for undergraduate and the Jesuits always said to be a lifelong learner. And so I really took that to heart. And so I think through different phases of my life and different phases of my uh, career, um, I have tried to maintain a certain level of, of humbleness and acknowledgement that there's always more to be learned and, and many things I do not know. And then as I've um, kind of gotten into different positions, leadership positions, I've um, seen how it could be beneficial to garner additional tools, additional skill sets. And in my current role as department chair of the uh, Department of Surgery, um, having kind of a, a business sense um, and some of the skills and perspectives of the business world I thought would be directly applicable um, to my leadership of the um, of the department. So it was for that reason that I uh, sought out the EMBA at Fisher. 
And what I will say is that I, you know, I felt like that I, I learned a lot about finance and, and accounting and, and the data analysis, but probably one of the biggest lessons that I took away was just the perspective of, of leadership from the business world and um, how um, one can be um, an agile leader um, and create organizations that are sustainable and successful, um, broadly construed, not only financially, but also adding value um, in my situation to our patients, to the hospital, to the community. That is great. So Tim, again, your job as the, the chair of the department, as well as the, a person responsible for surgery at Ohio State University, tell us more about what challenges do you see? I mean, like, again, like we are living in this era of COVID-19, there's a lot of uncertainties coming around. And still, again, like if you think about it, there's lots of challenges in healthcare. I mean, there's lots of disruptions happening out. What are some challenges that you see in your uh, in your day-to-day -day role and how are you addressing them? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, obviously COVID-19 represented an, an enormous uh, challenge in, on many different levels. One, a massive logistic challenge of um, kind of slowing down, you know, the big machine uh, of medicine and in surgery, uh, whereby we put all elective surgeries on pause during the height of COVID-19. And you can imagine the logistical challenge that was to, number one, identify which cases truly were elective and didn't need to proceed compared to what uh, cases did need to proceed uh, in the best interest of our patients. And then the pivot from a kind of um, logistics point of view and make sure that we had the proper personnel in the proper location so that we could do the surgeries that were necessary, but then also redeploy personnel across the entire enterprise to meet the unique needs and challenges of caring for patients who were um, um, afflicted by the COVID surge. And then subsequently, as we have a reemerge, so to speak, is how do you get all of that back online? Um, there has been significant um, HR challenges, staffing challenges, as you know, all different industries have seen uh, dramatic changes with regards to personnel, workforce issues, and just making sure that we can deliver the timely, excellent care that our, our patients need. Um, and to do all of this while maintaining um, morale um, amongst you know, faculty, physicians, staff, learners, and making sure that we can uh, maintain the high level of uh, quality that we're committed to being uh, committed to delivering. I will say that I've been immensely impressed by the response of Ohio State and the Wexner Medical Center and the James um, throughout the entire COVID um, epidemic and its reemergence. And I'm extremely proud to have been part of the leadership team that um, helped navigate uh, through this challenging time. That's great. So Tim, I want you to rewind back to the, the December of 2019 and 2020, Jan, early 2020, almost like three years ago now where all of these things happened. And all of a sudden, by mid-March or so, like you mentioned, everything was shut down, right? And then like you mentioned, like a lot of elective procedures were shut down and, and, and only essential people had to like come to workforce. And there's a lot of, there was no vaccines at that point yet. And then, and then you had this workforce that was, that is a part of your work, which is the healthcare workforce. And, and I can tell you like um, doing some work in that area myself, that is one of the hardest hit workforce during the pandemic, and it still continues to be one of the hardest hit workforce. How did you motivate them? Because this was a challenging time. 
but there is a lot of unknown unknowns out there. What, I mean, how did you motivate your people who are highly skilled people to actually think about this differently and again, come to work and make sure that they're serving the needs of the patients and the community? Yeah, well, I think one of the most important things was, um, you know, engagement with everyone um, and communication and over-communication. And one of the things that we started was something what we called an all-hands meeting. And typically, we would have faculty meetings that would only involve the faculty. But I felt very strongly that we needed to have communication with everyone who was part of the larger Department of Surgery uh, team. And so these all-hand meetings involved all staff, all faculty, um, all learners. We involved our um, advanced practice providers, our nursing team. And it wouldn't be uncommon to have 250 people on this Zoom call. And uh, we would, on that call, routinely bring in folks from infectious disease, epidemiology, leaders from here at the uh, medical center, also uh, leaders from uh, the local or state community to keep everyone informed about the current numbers, what we did know about COVID at the beginning, how it was you know, transferred or in, in the risks of, of to providers and to patients. We also um, developed uh, different uh, listening sessions um, so people could communicate uh, with myself and other leaders, their concerns, their fears, and then also their suggestions. You know, I, I always say that I believe not only, not in a hierarchy of people, but a hierarchy of ideas and great ideas can come from anywhere. And many of the best ideas about how to navigate and uh, communicate uh, with uh, individuals in the Department of Surgery came from those individuals on the very front lines um, and creating uh, means of communication and dialogue with those folks was absolutely critical. And then also clearly articulating a, a plan um, and um, iteratively revising that plan as more information um, unfolded and became um, evident. I think all of those things were um, uh, extremely important. Oh, I really loved what you just said about not the hierarchy of people, but hierarchy of ideas. Again, ideas can come from various sources, right? I want to go back to that point because, again, you're, you're in, a, in an environment where you have certain hierarchies built in by the nature of the workforce itself. You have physicians, you have nurses, you have like residents, and there's already a hierarchy built in. How do you really, how do you really like flatten it out? What are some practices that you do to flatten it out? Because there is a reason why these hierarchies exist. But what are some things that you do to actually like enable others to speak up more in a way that uh, better ideas come from? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is um, I try to be very uh, purposeful about my leadership style. And someone um, who is serious but does not take themselves um, to be or, or take themselves to be too serious, um, and to create a safe environment where people feel like that they can engage with me and other leaders um, and feel free to speak up um, if they think there is a better way that something can be done, or if um, I am off base, or if something we're doing is off base. And acknowledging that just like everyone else, I have a blind spot mm -hmm. and I need other people to help me identify what is in my blind spot so that I can address it. I think also creating a diverse leadership team because um, my lived experience shapes my blind spot. Mm -hmm. So if I surround myself with other people who have similar lived experiences 
it's going to be like a piece of Swiss cheese and all of our blind spots are going to be overlapping. So being purposeful in surrounding myself with people who are diverse in ethnicity, race, religion, sexual orientation, lived experiences, creates a richer environment and also a, a safer environment where people feel like they can um, that can speak up. Um, I also routinely build into my schedule um, times to interact with people. Um, so we have uh, breakfast with the chair where there's no agenda, where I meet in small groups with four or five people who sign up and, you know, we just talk and they, maybe they come with an agenda item, maybe they don't, but there's ways that we can, um, you know, um, talk about items that are important to them. I also um, build into my schedule at least once a month, getting out there. We call it getting out there. Hmm. So I will go like last month, we went to um, central sterilization and just walked the floor, shook hands, thanked people for working hard to sterilize our instruments, to put our instrument kits together, helping them understand that they are a critical part of surgical care. Even though they may never see the patient, they are important. So I think those type of things are um, very uh, meaningful. And then the other thing that I uh, tried to be very purposeful about is around social events, you know, trying to get to know people outside of the work environment so one can build social equity. Um, if the first time that you and I are ever having a conversation is uh, over a crisis, that is going to be much more challenging than if I have built up with you a certain amount of social equity. And then I can make a withdrawal from the social equity bank when a crisis hits. So I think we are all very busy. And for me, I tried to be very purposeful for scheduling events at my home or going out for coffee or, or dinner with folks so I can get to know them, understand them as people. Um, and I feel like that that really um, creates, again, this safe environment from a leadership perspective where ideas can flow more and people can feel uh, free to speak up and offer suggestions and input. And then the last thing I'll say is that when people do speak up and have good ideas, is that you have to act on those ideas and you have to execute on uh, those ideas. And then you need to give those people the credit um, and not claim the credit from yourself. Um, rather say, well, this was a great idea, but you know, I, I didn't actually think about that. Let me tell you who thought about that. It was an intern who suggested that and now, you know, we have a leadership program in our department of surgery because someone came to me, an intern came to me and said, we need to be more purposeful in the way we're cultivating leadership in the department. I said, that's a great idea. Let's put together a leadership program for our residents. That wasn't my idea. That was her idea. This is all great, Tim, because again, what you're doing as a leader is making yourself approachable, making yourself more listening to others and making yourself feel them beyond their routine life as a social component. That's all great examples here. Let me ask you one question along those lines. So one of the difficult challenges I have, at least like I've seen leaders have, is to have others change, especially like um, when there's a need for change happening, there, there could be skeptics. And some of those skeptics, um, they've always been there. They've always done that for a long time. And then they don't want to repeat. They want to try anything new. How do you change them? Are there any things that you do in your um journey as a leader to develop change management for some of these people who are highly talented, but who are sometimes skeptics, skeptics of change that, that enable them not to change and do other things? Yeah, I mean, uh, AC, I think that's a great question. I think 
you know, one of the things that, you know, I'm probably most proud of um, over the last seven years is that, you know, we have transformed the Department of Surgery significantly over that time. We've hired about 70 new people, six new division chiefs. You know, we're now top 10 in our residency program and uh, funding amongst all departments of surgery in the country. So it has been a journey. Um, and part of, um, I think, the change is, um, one, you have to be caring, you have to be uh, uh, competent, and um, you have to um, make sure that you have some early wins. So I, I think, you know, it's about creating a narrative and a vision and it can't be just my vision as a leader. It has to be a shared vision. So, you know, getting to know people, um, listening. Um, I always jokingly say, like, you always, you know, that book, The First 90 Days. I say that, you know, the first 90 days, you know, you should do nothing. You should just listen, get to know people, get to know the landscape. And then also, you know, try to bring people along and understand what's the why. Because I think that's people don't want to change if they don't understand the why, right? Like, why do we need change? And I think if you can craft the why, help them understand and believe in the why, that can be very motivational. Um, but it has to be part of their story. It can't be top down. It has to really, I, I believe, be not, not bottom up, but it has to be a, a kind of a, a co-creation. Um, and then I think most people come along. But some people don't. And I think um, that's OK. You know, that's OK. Um, and during my time here, some people have decided that this wasn't for them and they've left and other people have come. And I think as a leader, you have to be able to make those uh, difficult decisions. And one of my favorite quotes is that, you know, Steve Jobs, said, if you know, if I wanted to make people happy, I'd sell ice cream. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, I don't think necessarily my job is always to make people happy. My job is to be fair, to be honest, to have a process that is just and equitable, to bring value to the institution, to be respectful of individuals, and then also as a leader, try to identify in everyone who's part of the institution, what can they bring? You know, every I firmly believe that almost all the time, someone has something they can contribute. And as a leader, it's our job to identify that, to amplify that, and to draw that out of uh, people. And in the overwhelming majority of times, um, I believe it's successful. But I will say that, you know, you, you have to deliver, you know, as a change agent. Because if you talk about change and then you can't execute and, and, and deliver, then you will lose credibility with your constituency. Um, but if you can deliver, um, and some early wins, then more and more people will buy in because they will begin to see like, you know, maybe, maybe this person does know what they're doing. You know, maybe this is going to be better than the status quo, but you need to get some, um, momentum and, you know, you, we always talk about the importance of leadership, but I think this other concept, the importance of being the first follower. Um, and you need to have some people um, who stand up and say, you know, I'm going to take a risk, but, you know, we're going to change. But, you know, I'm going to I'm going to follow AC. I'm going to follow Tim. And then things can really start um, um, kind of synergizing on themselves. That is great. I think these are all very important traits, Tim. I know we're running out of time. I do have one more question. So uh, it, it's, again, reflecting on your leadership abilities and what you have done. Um, where do you see... Um, 
there are opportunities for you to learn. I know like, like you just said, I, I really like the way you said like learning never stops and you're always learning, right? So in terms of reflecting on all your leadership traits, where do you see again yourself as a leader that requires more learning and what are you doing to uh, fill the gap? I learn every day. I learn every day from everyone. I think one of the most powerful things in the EMBA course is that our group had people from all different walks of life in all different, you know, um, types of um, industry and, and businesses. And, you know, uh, you know, one of the people in my small group owns a trucking company and I probably learned more from him than I learned from many physicians. Um, and so I think that there is something to be learned from everyone. And I love meeting people who are different, you know, different, like I said, life perspectives or different jobs or different experiences. And, I think good leaders maintain this rigorous sense of intellectual curiosity um, in their professional life and their personal life, and also this humility. And I, you know, I was talking to another surgeon once, and he said, "Oh, humility, oh, it sounds so weak," but it's the exact opposite. You know, humility comes from the Greek word humus, which means ground. So people who are humble are grounded, and leaders need to be grounded people. Not weak, but realize that they are, you know, um, they, they are the prism through which so much knowledge can come through. I don't hold all the knowledge, but I can act as a very powerful prism of collective knowledge from the organization and outside the organization to act to focus that knowledge in line with the mission, the vision and the strategy of the organization to push it forward. That is outstanding, Tim. I mean, like, I've learned a lot, actually, talking to what you just talked about, the whole idea of humility and how leaders have to be more humble to lead others for change. This has been a great conversation, Tim. Again, thank you for spending some time with us and hope to see you again soon. Thank you again, Tim. Thank you so much, AC. And I just want to um, also just recognize uh, your wonderful contributions to my education as part of the EMBA program. I appreciate your time today and I appreciate your friendship. Thanks once again. Thank you, Tim. Appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. For more episodes or more information about The Ohio State University Max M. Fisher College of Business, please visit fisher.osu.edu.